Heads up. This episode, John and Lindsay journal about hypothetical virginity loss, Jeff Galuli, and LimeWire as they feel the temptation of peer pressure on Here's Why It's Great. Greetings, salutations, hello, my dear friends. Welcome back to Here's Why It's Great, the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great. I'm your host, John Bring, and once again, we are joined by the lovely, vivacious oh. Lindsay Calhoun Bring. <laughs> hello. A writer on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Correct. Dropping this week, guys. Yeah, part two is coming out on April 5th. Oh my God. It's dropping I hard. I can't wait. Uh, but there's somebody missing. It seems like there should be, there's an oh. empty third chair here. Mm. Um, Sebastian Kadlecic, my my usual co-host, is is not here. And, uh, you know, I haven't heard from him. Weird. Uh, what, do you think, what do you think happened to him? Well, as you know, Sebastian and I have been spending a lot of time on the ice. On like a... Skating rink? Yeah, that's what we call it in the professional skating world, is we're on the ice. Okay. And, uh, you know, he's been doing his thing, twirling some deep twirls, and my boyfriend, Jeff, has been feeling pretty jealous for me. And uh, basically, he got a lead pipe and took it straight to Sebastian's knee. Oh, jeez. But you could do the triple Lindy. Why Why do you need to even take out Sebastian? You know, Sebastian's America's sweetheart, and I won't have it. That he is. Sebastian's not able to join us this week. He's recovering from a grievous knee injury. He'll never skate again. Not in this town. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I don't I would like to know if Sebastian has skated at all. Write in, Sebastian. How could you write in? <laughs> you can email us what? at hwigpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, this week, folks, we are doing a classic film. I mean, a modern classic. Uh-huh. From the year 1999. Whoa. I'm dating myself here. The, the year I graduated from high school. Whoa, you and Buffy. I'm- share a graduating class yes Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I definitely share a graduating class uh, uh that was not lost to me when we watched the show I was like <laughs> oh class of 99 that was me too uh we're talking about Cruel Intentions for its 20th anniversary it is the 20th anniversary of Cruel Intentions I cannot believe it because I have vivid memories of watching this for the first time as do I now this is not a listener request this is Something that most people that are listening to this know and probably have some appreciation for. Mm -hmm. I think that typically people in our generation kind of love this movie. Yeah. But when I looked on the Rotten Tomatoes of it, it says 54%. This thing was totally crapped on upon its release. I don't... uh, Well, it's been a minute since I've seen it. I'm excited to revisit it. But I feel like uh, maybe the tone was lost on most in its initial release because it was sort of released and advertised as a classic late 90s teen rom-drom, if you will. And I don't think it's that. I think it's more of a comedy. See, that's the thing that I don't remember. I remember mostly the ads where it's like, Sarah Michelle Keller in bed on an antique phone. Ryan Philippe riding around in an antique car. Oh, a sweet car. <laughs> with yeah. A, yeah, a very cool car. Uh, with Reese Witherspoon and 
It seems very dramatic, very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what you tell me, it's like it's funny. It's well, hilarious. I, I mean, I I kind of always took it as a comedy, but I'm excited to sort of rewatch. It is, um, as most will know, it is based on Dangerous Liaisons, which was based on a 1700s novel, Les Liaisons Dangerous. Yes, Les Liaisons Dangerous, <laughs> which was. Uh, released in uh, 1782. Public domain, baby. Yeah. That's the uh, way to do it. Our writer-director of the film, Roger Cumble, saw Dangerous Liaisons, thought, hey, I could do that, but I could do it in high school. Seemed like a genius move. He made a, probably a ton of money off of this. He's going to be remembered forever for doing this movie. I think, though, that we wanted to approach it from a place of showing you why it's great and not from just a place of nostalgia, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously I remember the soundtrack was great. Oh, so good. Obviously, very prominent late 90s stars. We got uh, Selma Blair in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Felipe. Reese is obviously a little bit more evergreen of a star. She's been around just killing it ever since this movie. Yeah, obviously, uh, Academy Oscar, Award winner. Academy Reese Award winner. Did she win the Emmy for Big Little Lies as well? Or was is that just Nicole? And oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe or a Golden Globes, Emmys. They won it all. She's at least halfway to her EGOT. Yeah. Let's see if, uh, I, I don't know if she won anything for the soundtrack for uh, Walk the Line. But so Reese is obviously the biggest star to come out of this. And from what I saw, from what little I read up, she was kind of the get of this movie. Like yes. they, they had to really fight to get her on board. We were reading an article about sort of the making of this movie and uh, Roger Cumble, because it's the 20th anniversary, had done uh, an interview basically saying that uh, Reese was, I don't think Reese was the first choice by the studio. I think that was Katie Holmes. Yeah, Katie Holmes, uh, which I, would not have worked for me. Well, you know, I just we didn't see that movie. but I, I guess so, but I just I can't picture anybody but Reese Witherspoon in that part sure. of girl. Yeah, of I, forget, girl, I forget her of name. Girl Ingenue. Annette Ryan Philippe and Sarah Michelle Geller were the first two to be cast. They were packaged, if you will. Ooh, oh. I don't know if you're following what's going on these days with uh, packaging, but yeah, uh, with the WGA and everything. But okay, we they can, were uh, packaged. Uh, don't have enough time to explain all that no. mess. No, but uh, Roger Cumble had gone to Ryan Philippe and said, "Hey, what about your girlfriend?" Because Reese and Ryan were dating oh, at right. the time. Right, right, right. Uh, I forgot they. Every even where a couple got married had had babies. They have two kids. That's nuts. I totally forgot. A lifetime ago. It's a whole cruel intentions ago. You wow. Know? Yeah. Totally. I measure life in cruel intentions. <laughs> um, yes. But they took Reese out to dinner and I guess whined and dined and begged. And Roger said that he actually got on his knees and begged her to do the part and, and basically said, "Look, man, it'll be fifteen days of shooting." And she said, "Okay." Well, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, and now she's an Oscar winner, and she's the only one of that bunch that's won an Oscar. So, well, Reese isn't the only award winner to come out of this film. Oh, did Ryan Philippi win an Oscar, and I didn't know about it? <laughs> no, <laughs> at least I don't think so. Uh, no, Selma Blair and Sarah Michelle Gellar won an MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss. Oh, that kiss. That kiss. That I remember that kiss. Saliva stringy kiss. Oh, man. What a moment. Well, that was a big moment. It was awesome. That was basically the entire reason I watched the movie in <laughs> I, the first place. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what got many, many a boy in the theater. Because I think that, is that moment in the trailer? 
I, I'm pretty sure it, it had to have been, It had right? to be. Well, you want to get butts in seats, you you put that moment in the trailer. It's, yeah, absolutely. There's no way that that didn't go into the trailer. It was all like sexy shots of Sarah Michelle Gellar doing sexy things. Yeah. So. Well, it's awesome. It's an awesome scene. It's really fun. And it is a, it's set against a Blur song, which is like the 90-est <sighs> thing ever. Love. Love me some Blur. Love some Blur. Love a Central Park moment. Yeah. Love just girls being girls. Yeah. You know? Is is that what Gordon that's is that yeah. how girls normally act <laughs> when they're by that, themselves? That's just girls being girls. No, but that that is the male fantasy of how girls act sure when they're just is. by themselves. I mean, I'm sure some girls have done exactly what Sarah says in that moment, which is, you know, the how do you how do you think girls learn? They practice with each other. Like I practiced with a with a bedpost, you know, like, oh, a, really? like a pillow, a yeah. teddy bear, a cadaver. A cadaver? Where did you find I, a cadaver? I can find. You lived in John, the rough part of Savannah. Don't be stupid. Cadavers are in the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you were an amateur grave robber. Yeah, <laughs> a, a necrophiliac. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you weren't having sex with them. You we didn't go all the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're getting to first base with them. Uh, but that scene, that kiss. <laughs> Is basically the one thing I can remember about this movie. Oh my gosh, really? I, I mean, I, I, other than the people that are in it, I can't really remember it. And I remember just this feeling I had at the time where, based off of that kiss, I thought that this was going to be the hottest movie I had ever seen. It's pretty hot. Oh yeah. I mean, look, my uh, expectations were sky high, and I remember being pretty disappointed at the time. And I think it is because what you said, it's funny, and I didn't expect it to be funny. I think I expected it to be like a Joe Esterhaas, Paul Verhoeven, Basic Instinct-esque, yeah. like, erotic thriller. You wanted Wild I, Things. Well, no, Wild Things was on a, <laughs> in a league of its own. That was a masterpiece. Oh, okay. Well, this this kind of was my Wild Things, because uh, I think for girls, I like, the thing that I remember, this this came out around the time I think I was a freshman in high school, and I remember that, like, sweet, sweet mish scene between uh, <laughs> right. Ryan and uh, and Reese, and I was like, oh, man, that's, like, sex. that's lovemaking, man. Yeah, they must have watched Twilight before they to- they went at it. Because- to- well, at least we got to, like, we get to see something. I hear what you're saying. I don't want to be mistaken here. It's not a comedy, like a like a not another teen movie. It's not like making fun of, of teen movies. It is like a black comedy. Okay. I, I say. Well, I'm definitely excited to see it. Uh, it's, it has been literally 20 years. I watched it on video, on VHS. I rented it back uh, at the Hollywood Video back in Valdosta, yes. Georgia. Waited till my dad left for the night and watched it all by myself <laughs> and was like, well, that's it, really? So it came as a surprise to me that you were so excited about it. Now with this 20th anniversary, like we've gotten multiple texts of people being like, hey, do you want to go to the theater and see the 20th anniversary? Uh-huh. Uh, and that's what we're going to go do right now. We are going to go watch this movie on the big screen, baby. On the big screen. We're going to go on a married date. Isn't a married date just a date? No. A married date is a date you go on with your husband. I have many other dates. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I'm finding this out now. But before we go, real quick, before we head out for that, I just want to do a little segment real quick called Captain Correction. And that's where I go back and... And I correct myself on a couple of notes and things that I got wrong in previous episodes of this here show. Captain Correction, what a great nickname for you. I wonder who gave that to you and I wonder why. Well, the reason we're doing it on this episode is because it came from you. (laughs) And I don't call it mansplaining. 
because mm, you, you well you wouldn't as a man <laughs> but I, i'm just a stickler for the facts so if somebody gets something factually incorrectly i would have the tendency to say hey no it's it's not 35 it's 42 uh, mm-hmm. For instance, I don't know. I, I couldn't think of a specific example. I can. So but Lindsay that's for dubbed day. me the uh, <laughs> the charming title of Captain Correction, but now I'm going to take the power back. I'm going to turn it into a thing. Oh, I'm going to take the power back. Uh, so just a couple of things. Uh, we talked in our last episode about Guy Fieri, about diners, drive-ins, and dives, and about a little place in Burbank called Chili John's, which is a chili establishment that was featured on Triple D Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. I said it had been closed. I was incorrect. I actually drove past it just yesterday, and it's open. There was, looked like there was nobody inside, but by God, that neon sign out front was open. There's a place further down the way on that same strip that has a very similar look to it that is very old school. Looks like it's been there for a thousand years, and I think I saw that, and I, I thought that they had rethemed Chili John's to that, but <laughs> it turns out Chili John's is open, so that's one. Great. Good, new- good news. Good news, Every- everybody. Hey, everyone. Everyone. Chili John's is still open in run, Burbank. Run. Don't, <laughs> Don't walk. walk. Chili John's is still open. <laughs> and I remember even in the episode saying, like, the chili looked and was, because we went there one time, was bad. It was like, yeah. it was just a gnarled mess. Anyway, so run, don't walk to Chili John's. I just wanted to say that to correct myself because I am Captain Correction. I do not supersede my own Captain mm. Correctionness. Well, what I like about this is that you are wanting to let everyone know that it's open, but to remind them that it is terrible. So either either way, don't go. Hey, man, I call them like I see them. Uh, and the second item that I wanted to address was <laughs> on our Megadeth episode. Actually, it was the Star Trek V episode, I believe, where I brought up the fact that Dave Mustaine could have been played by one man, David Wynnum, mm. who was in Lord of the Rings. But I misquoted his character name. He did not play Aomer. Aomer, obviously, of Rohan, Ugh. of the horse folk. Nerd. David Wynnum would go on to play Faramir, the brother of Boromir, from Minas Tirith, the kingdom of men so i just wanted to make those corrections if there there will be other things i know these are like such nitpicky things but well you know when when i have people texting me and letting me know that i got something wrong i gotta call it out so anyhow and you're, and you're turning me on right thus now ends captain correction now with that out of the way i am so stoked to go see my fucking cruel and tensions, Let's baby. Let's go on a married date. Let's go on a married date. Um, hopefully you don't see any of your other dates there while we're at the movies. I was very clear with them that I would be on a married date tonight. All right, good. Well, uh, we're going to see them at the theater, <laughs> and we will see you guys right after this when we tell you why Cruel Intentions is great. Dun, 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 dun. Cause it's a bittersweet symphony that's life. That's a good oh ass song. God. Oh yeah, we were bumping out of that theater to that yes. song, baby. Oh, what uh, a it was, rush! It was it was great. Uh, watching this movie in the theater was quite an experience. It was a it was about a halfway full theater, and it was fairly small. But our row was feeling Bumpin', it. Yeah. yeah, we were feeling it. the The two ladies next to you were having a blast, laughing at all the right places, gasping at all the right places. They were living. It was a really really fun experience. 
I'm, I'm really glad we went to go see it. Me too. I'm so glad we went on that married date. I'm really sorry that we ran into so many of my ex, my my currents like, and my exes. <laughs> okay, folks. Like every single guy I bumped and into, and girl, it was oh. everybody. It was it was intense. It was but, intense. But um, when you got it going on, like one oh, Lindsay Calhoun bring. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, no, we just watched Cruel Intentions, and like I said, it was. A fucking blast. I had such a good time. You're right. This movie is hilarious. It is hilarious. It is funnier than I thought it was. I went into going to see this again thinking like this is a comedy convincing you this is a dark comedy. It's not just a, a so deep drama, which it's a little bit of so deep teen drama. But it is funnier than I remember. And maybe maybe I'm coming off of the high of the audience because our audience was amazing. But I don't know, man. I just had the best time in the theater I've had in ages. Yeah, it was it was great. It did not disappoint. The movie begins and takes you right back to 1999 oh, with yeah. the placebo song. Mm-hmm. I believe the song is called, I had to look it up. Every You and Every Me. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Before I could even look at my phone to, to clarify... By the way, I mean, I say this about every Placebo song because uh, it's a band that I enjoy. It's not a band that I'm real familiar with their work, uh, but they did a couple of songs on the uh, Velvet Goldmine soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that movie, it's a Todd Haynes film. It's a fictionalized version of David Bowie's tale and life story. It's fantastic. Young John Rhys Myers, Christian Bale, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. I describe this movie often to friends who I'm trying to convince to watch it because I love it. But I always describe it as Ewan McGregor and Jonathan Rhys Myers fucking each other on a bed of glitter for two hours. Yeah, set that's against basically it. And an one incredible of the, soundtrack. One of the best soundtracks <laughs> ever. Uh, there is a moment. Uh, this movie's probably from like the early 2000s, maybe even the late 90s, Velvet Goldmine, that is. And there's a moment where it's Christian Bale and Ewan McGregor having sex on a rooftop. And I'm like, that is Obi-Wan Kenobi getting it on with Batman on a <laughs> on a London rooftop <laughs> wow. in an alternate version of the 1980s. It's great. So Placebo does a couple songs on that soundtrack. And I, for whatever reason, I always think every time I hear a Placebo song, I think it's a female singer. No. It is not. That man has a very high-pitched voice. And that was what I thought when we heard this song. What's it called again? Every You and Every Me. Every You and Every Me. It just takes you right back to 1999. It does. Well, the reason why I was so ready with that answer is because I had the Cruel Intention soundtrack on CD. I'm sure you did. And I played it out so much that I had to rebuy it. Didn't you also do that with the Buffy the Vampire That's Slayer right. soundtrack? That's right. I do that a lot with... Mo- you know what's so funny? I, I think uh, this is a trend. I think I was more into movie soundtracks as a kid than I was albums because now it's all it's like repressed memories flooding back. That movie Teaching Mrs. Tingle, I don't know if you remember it. It was a 90s. I, I, I know the movie, but I don't can't say I've ever seen it and oh, certainly this, don't remember the soundtrack. Well, this I had the soundtrack. I played that. I had to rebuy that soundtrack. There was huh. a series of 90s teen films where I was so into the soundtrack that I, I played them out. I had well, to rebuy. Well, think about it. It's it's you're actually consuming music the way people do now a little bit more where it's True. not about albums. Albums. It's not about a full body of work. It's about picking and choosing what songs you want, putting them all together on a playlist or a mixtape back in those days. Mm-hmm. That's all it was, was just a playlist yeah. uh, on CD form. So, Well, to be fair, maybe that I believe a couple of these instances I didn't rebuy. I actually <laughs> recreated the playlist on LimeWire. Oh, oh, man. Talk about the now, 90s, you baby. T- you take me back to the late 90s, early 2000s. You want to talk about LimeWire. LimeWire was love. You got a LimeWire playlist from a gentleman caller, and it was that was it. Oh, you could share playlists? I 
just like ripped songs off of the internet from you it. Couldn't That's share like how them. I got into Prince was I just would rip a bunch oh. of LimeWire Prince songs because I remember the first time I ever heard Prince, it was uh, I had heard like the legend of this guy, and mm-hmm. you know everybody rightfully so said how amazing he was. And then I was playing hooky or something one day from school. I usually would spend my afternoons watching MTV back when they still showed videos, and uh, either MTV or VH1 did a classics segment where they played Raspberry Beret. And I saw Prince's name, name come up, and I was like, all right, bro, let's see what you got. And at the time, I was like, that's it? And now I'm like, that's a perfect pop song. But at the time, when I was a kid, I, maybe I was expecting more. Maybe it's uh, – I felt the same way when I have heard uh, Under Pressure for the first time. Cause I was oh, like, yeah. oh, this I knew Queen, but David Bowie, I was like, I've heard a lot about this guy, and uh, let's see what he's got. And I don't think Under Pressure is the best example of what David Bowie could give us. Aww, it's a great song. I love song. that song. Great, no, but but think about it as a David. Bo- as sure, a, it's not as like a, a it's not a Bowie song. It feels yeah. more like a like a Queen song. It is a Queen it's song because it is Queen with David Bowie. Yeah. But anyhow, LimeWire. A few years later, I would discover Prince again and download all of his songs and became a big fan. And uh, thanks a lot, LimeWire. But I didn't know you yeah. could like trade playlists and stuff. No, well, two uh, two responses to this incredible tale. One, uh, you can't. You could not. Uh, what I meant by that was ripping a CD, passing it old school. You know, oh. not quite as old school as like mixtape and actual cassette right. tape. But the, these were. Mixed I definitely tapes. made some mixes for some lady friends. Oh yeah, day. this was the, this was the early like. Oh man, I'm feeling so many things. Well, and uh, trust that trust that plenty of songs from the Cruel Intentions soundtrack made it onto oh, yeah. my so deep, oh, yeah. uh, so deep mixes. The second Crash part of this. Crash Into Me probably was on most of mine. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. Into Me. Well, you know? yeah. I remember one the early days, man, when we started dating and I and your place was just decorated by like subway posters of Su- Dave Matthews subway, bands. Subway size posters of Dave Matthews just by himself for a lot of them. I was pretty obsessed. You and every uh, male in his 20s in college. Yes, for it's sure. true. Certainly during the late 90s. Anyhow, uh, you were saying. The, well, the second part of that was I wanted you to get ready to be more into me if possible i don't know if i could be but go ahead <laughs> my introduction to prince have i ever told you this my introduction to prince was through batman oh i think you have told me this and that's why i married you i think <laughs> and and prince actually funny enough when i started downloading the songs on limewire the first thing i downloaded was the batman, the batman soundtrack oh yeah for A sure the song percent. trust hubba 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 Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Money, oh, money, money. What a great song. I watched that and watched him and was just like, that's fucking it, man. Yeah, that's, that's him. That's music. Yeah, yeah. And and I still to this day feel like the Bat Dance. Now this has become a podcast about <laughs> Prince. The Bat Dance is one of the oddest songs to be put out at with a video, to be put out in the front of the marketing for a uh-huh. huge movie. Go listen to Bat Dance on Spotify. Oh, so good. It's amazing. It's also so fucking weird. It's, it's so, so weird. It's so strange. It's all over the place. It's Prince like giving into all of his little idiosyncrasies and every weird jazzy thing he wanted to do. He did it in that one track. It's oh great. God. But we're talking about <sighs> placebo. We're talking about cruel intentions. And it has a killer soundtrack that we will definitely hit on as we get through this thing. But we're talking about killer. I'm talking about a killer opening shot. A killer, yeah. Listeners of the show Roger know. Roger Cumble. Roger Cumble. Excellent. He did an excellent job on this. I met him, you know. 
I do know that. I've met him as well. Oh, I feel like every time I come on here, I'm just going to have a like, I met this person oh, through yeah, this yeah, TV yeah. Definitely show. Definitely some name dropping coming every time. But go ahead. Well, I met him because he was uh, he had directed an episode of uh, this TV show I worked on called Hindsight a few years ago, which was... Also on VH1. Also on VH1. Which helped me discover Prince. Yeah. That was such a fun show. And uh, it was just with really great people created by really great people. And it was an awesome experience. And... I was uh, fangirling out because I knew that he had written and directed Cruel Intentions and also Cruel Intentions 2. And and I'm a very big fan of Just Friends, which I introduced you to. You did. We'll talk about that throughout. I have several thoughts on Just Friends. Oh, good. But he's a nice guy. He just came in for editing. But I remember being starstruck. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. And you're like, oh, my God. I got to meet the director of Cool Intentions today. And I was <laughs> and like, you didn't care. I was like, yeah. So, no, I would later go on to meet him. We would, uh, that same show, he would be at uh, the showrunner, a friend of ours, Emily Fox. Who's uh, the best. The best. And she had us over to her house, uh, along with the uh, with Roger and some of the cast, mm-hmm. to uh, watch the premiere or the, the finale. Pi- yeah, the premiere. Oh, maybe it's, what, you know what? I, I remember Roger doing the finale, but maybe he did the pilot as well. I'm having a he hard time. Have, I don't remember seeing it on his IMDb that I sort of perused before we started recording but anyhow he was a really swell guy really nice very kind didn't feel like somebody who was super full of themselves not certainly not somebody who i would have imagined to have directed a a modern classic such as this i'm saying that somewhat cheekily but the truth is People love this movie, and I can see why. Yay! Well, yeah, I remember, like you said, at the time when I came home so excited, I think this was 2013 or 2014, telling you I'd met the writer-director of Cruel Intentions, you could not have cared less because you nope. didn't care about the movie. You I'd didn't... seen Cruel Intentions one time on video in 1999, and I was like, meh, all right. Right, it I didn't have it. the same, I didn't carry the same weight. So I am now just really excited that you see what I and so many others have seen for so long. Oh, yeah. And Roger Cumble, we'll, d- we'll talk about some of the his similarities, choices. actually, some of his choices that carry over from Cruel Intentions to his more overtly comedic works Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. specifically Just Friends but we'll talk about that in a little bit but I'm always harping about directors and uh, their vision and how they handle the material he was locked in from the opening frames of this movie all the way to the end absolutely 100% had this thing nailed you could tell there was a vision behind it the opening shot is beautiful it's of Sebastian played by Ryan Philippe driving in a sick car I forget what it is he calls it like a 65 Jag or something in the movie Um, I have no idea it could very well be a Toyota Corolla (laughs) I don't (laughs) know it is not a Toyota Corolla (laughs) it's a beautiful amazing car Uh, a two seater I believe it's a convertible but the top is only ever down in the movie and it's just an amazing shot of him driving into new york city with the placebo song playing and i'm always complaining about how things look now and how movies feel a little bit more haphazard and slapdash i think with the advent of digital cinema i think honestly making things is so much easier now especially when you got drones when we if we're going to talk about the opening shot of this movie it's a shot of sebastian driving in his car and it pulls up and then we get to see this gorgeous view of new york city 
And in today's age, it's like, oh, yeah, you just get a drone to do that. But Lindsay literally, like, asked on the way home, was like, how do they do that? How do they do this? I get You just have to do it practically. You had to get in a fucking helicopter and yeah, get the shot. Get to the chopper. You had to get to the chopper. And anyhow, I just feel like from moment one, that's really locked on. Also, God, we go into the first scene of the movie proper, which is Sebastian at... His therapist's yeah, office. Yeah, thank you. The, his therapist's office. And I cannot think of, say for maybe Indiana Jones in the first five minutes of that movie, of a better character introduction oh my God. than his. He's such a little shit. He's such a prick. He's so duplicitous. He's mm-hmm. so, you could tell he's lying through his teeth. And in he's the so scene, locked in, too, from the, from uh, the beginning. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody else, and not I would not normally praise the acting of Ryan Philippe. I'm not a huge fan generally. I feel like I've well, only wait, ever seen him in. A why few not? Other what things. have you seen? I feel like the only couple of things you've seen him in, you've really liked him in. Uh, well, I did see him in a, mo- bang- a s- small movie called The Bang Bang Club, and you said, "Wow, Ryan Philippe is great." <laughs> I-, I did say that. I've seen him in. Obviously, you, I know what you did last summer. Amazing. Yeah. Let's see. What else did I see him in? I can't. Well, maybe it's just the fact that he had his his star rose so high. And those halcyon days of the late 90s. <laughs> right. And we just haven't seen him do much. I mean, the Bang Bang Club was probably from the mid-2000s. So it's been a while since I've seen him in anything He'd personally. be working. He does work. I mean, I looked at his IMDb and yeah, his, he's never had a gap where he didn't work. And he probably could because I'm sure that he got a pretty penny off of his divorce mm-hmm. with Reese Witherspoon thanks to California law. Whoever makes less money always gets paid out more. So I can guarantee you Ryan Philippe did not make more money than Reese Witherspoon in their years together. Don't get excited. We're not getting divorced anytime soon. Oh, man. I got I to gotta <laughs> bide my time. I'm going to wait until you make more money. Uh, not, we'll see if that ever happens. Oh, God. <laughs> well, hey, uh, one thing I want to mention about this opening scene. I know that you are... I don't. Have you ever seen Dangerous Liaisons? I have not. You've no. not. I Well, I have not read the novel Lady... Dangerous. Yep. That's a, I that's took AP exactly French it. and passed everyone, <laughs> but uh, there are, there are a couple of moments of fan service to Dangerous Liaisons, and one of them is that Susie Kurtz is in Dangerous Liaisons. So I thought it was pretty fun. That's that the therapist lady. That is the therapist. Oh, okay. So I that's thought it was fun, fun that nod. he uh, cast her in this uh, small part, but still a nod to the movie. Super fun. Yeah, basically every character in this movie is so perfectly rendered, just from a script perspective, and the therapist is no exception. She's great. Uh, she gives him a book. And in the first example of a Roger Cumble special, which is the ADR joke. <laughs> yes. For anybody who doesn't know, ADR is, yeah. is uh, it's got a different couple of different ways of putting its uh, automatic dialogue replacement. But it's the fact of the matter is it's something that they recorded after the fact. It's a line or it's usually a line where it's not focused on the character's face. So you can basically have them say whatever you want. And she hands Sebastian the book and he's like, Ooh, an autographed copy. Can I keep it? And you could tell that it's ADR, that it was that yeah. was recorded after the fact. And that was the first time it reminded me of Just Friends, yeah. which is full of ADR jokes. Half of the great jokes in that movie They're are off ADR. screen. Yeah. Uh, I think Roger Cumble is really a brilliant comedic mind when it comes to these little tiny tidbits that you could just add in post just to, to sprinkle and spice up the proceedings. It's very funny. But anyhow, so... Basically, Sebastian has slept with this therapist's daughter. Put Played pictures by up. Tara Reed. Yeah, Tara Reed. And he's bamboozled his therapist and basically did it all because, he says later, because she was overcharging him. <laughs> and he, pretty great. he walks out of the office 
uh, just as Tara Reed is calling her mother in tears, explaining the situation to her. And Sebastian goes downstairs, and then all of a sudden the mom appears and is banging on a window, very The Graduate style. And they're clearly in a mall. And I'm like, yeah. what therapist's office, what like high-powered therapist's office in New York is in a fucking mall in New York City? Where's a mall in New York City uh, also? It's the 90s, baby. But anyway, he meets uh, Sebastian, meets a, a woman, uh, Clarissa, downstairs and it's just some random girl and i i walked away thinking like i wish that was one more though in the way that tara reed was the daughter yeah. of the therapist i wish that that was another like upcoming starlet who's still hanging on these days like a katherine heigl or somebody like or like that. A, she kind of looked like katherine heigl actually oh really to me she did uh i actually was thinking that should have been katie holmes because oh yeah katie holmes is in that sort of oh joshua jackson's already in the movie basically this this movie is i described it as like a rolodex of uh or like a who's who of 90s teen stars from the WB. And and, and, and as we said in our intro, Katie Holmes was pushed by the studio exactly. as the as the original Annette. I thought you meant like as a wink and a nod to, yeah. to that and like a fuck you to whoever Columbia Pictures or whoever. Uh, but then we go from Sebastian's therapist session straight to another great character introduction. A couple actually. Well, three really. We meet his stepsister. Her name is Catherine. Mm-hmm. Catherine and she Bertoy. is played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's amazing. We also get to meet Cecile, played by Selma Blair, and her mom... Flawlessly played by Selma uh, Blair. Great. Uh, Her mom, played by Christine Berinsky, who at the time... Uh, I think was a big get for them as well, in addition to Reese. Oh, by the way, in the credits, Reese Witherspoon already had an and Reese Witherspoon credit. Well, yeah, as we as we talked about in the intro, it was a it was a big get to get her. They had to beg her, yeah, hire with wine and beggar to yeah. do the movie. So it was interesting to me because it said and Reese Witherspoon. It gave a few other names and then did another and for Christine Berinsky. I think I read in the trivia that she worked for like three days on it and she didn't <laughs> want to do it, but her kids were big fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, so the fact that she got to work with Sarah Michelle Gellar was the appeal of this. And they probably worked together like a day, maybe. Yeah. Like there's two scenes where they share scenes together. And I'm sure if her kids who were big fans of Buffy went to go see this movie, they would have been fucking horrified because her character is so awful. Both she and Sebastian are awful. They Let's just call it out. They are sociopaths. They're sociopaths. The movie is about two sociopaths trying to make as much trouble as they can in the shortest amount of time they can and ruin people's lives. Yeah, I would add to that. The Another take is... This movie is about a young man who wants to have anal sex with his stepsister so badly that he would ruin the lives of everyone around him to fulfill that goal. (laughs) So we are in the apartment. We're meeting all these characters. Cecile is a dum-dum. Just put simply, played beautifully, as you said, by Selma Blair. Uh, Catherine, in a similar fashion to Sebastian, we get to kind of get all that she's about in this one scene. But... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to uh, mention something about Selma Blair, because I'd said I was reading that interview with Roger Cumble about the making of the movie since it's 20 years later, and he had said that to this date in his professional career, Selma Blair's audition was the best audition he has ever seen. So there's a scene later in the movie, an iconic scene, where Sebastian uh, basically plies Cecile with alcohol with a Long Island iced tea, and then he asks to kiss her, not on her lips, but down 
down there, which is, you know, for lack of a better word, rape. rape. <laughs> a thousand percent. And so when Roger Cumble was making the movie and auditioning girls, it was important that uh, at least the person that he cast was not underage when they filmed this. So when Selma Blair walked in, the first question he asked her was, uh, how old are you? And she responded back by saying, how old are you? That's how I imagine she said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Roger immediately was like, you're cast. That's the brattiest, most Cecile thing in the world. And nobody else is Cecile but you. And how smart is that? I had forgotten that she was even in this movie at all, mm-hmm. Selma Blair. And we're watching her and I'm like, wow, she's great in this part. In this very tiny part at the very beginning, not crossing her legs and wearing a, a shirt with a koala on it. And just looking <laughs> like being very childlike. And soon enough, we get into it, and Catherine's explaining how her boyfriend, Court, played by Jerry O'Connell's little bro, Charlie. Yeah. Which I didn't realize, but you pointed out to me. We find out that she's been, she's taken Catherine's man, Charlie O'Connell. And there's a quick shot. It's like two seconds, but it's her at like a county fair, (laughs) and she's got an ice cream cone, and she's waving stupidly, (laughs) and she tries to lick the cone, and the the ice cream falls (laughs) off. And at that moment, I realized, holy shit, Selma Blair is going to be the MVP of this movie. I believe she is a thousand percent the MVP of this movie. She was such a fun surprise because she's also somebody I'm not a huge fan of. Like, I mostly remember her from Hellboy, where she's fine in those movies, but... She's just kind of there. Well, another thing that I like Selma Blair in is The Sweetest Thing, another Roger Cumble joint. Yes, which I have also seen. I feel like I've actually seen a lot of his work. I know. I think think you may actually like all of these people. (laughs) You think that you don't. Look, I know I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. Buffy's great. Sure. Ryan Philippe. All right. I'll give it to you. Now that you've listed off his accomplishments, I will agree that like, okay, he's not that bad. Selma Blair is just somebody who I'm not super familiar with her work. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, if I wasn't a fan of Selma Blair before tonight, I am definitely a, a fan now. She was great. Uh, we have the, a very protracted scene, very play-like scene of Sebastian and Catherine after Cecile and her mother walk off, like hatching their plot. Which is, we get the introduction of Annette, played by Reese Witherspoon, and the fact that she's like this virgin, and she's uh, written this article in Seventeen magazine saying, I'm not going to have sex until I'm in love, and I don't think I'm capable of love because I'm too young. And we get the backstory of their parents are gone, they hate each other's parents, Uh, it's her mom and his dad are together, and they hate each other, and there's this sort of push and pull between uh, Catherine and... Uh, Sebastian that's very sexually charged and dynamic between the two of them it goes on for like 15 minutes but it's a great scene it's a long scene but it is the it's the you know obligatory expository scene of the movie where we set up uh the goal uh where we know what the bed is and uh, you know again uh what the uh what the stakes are and like you said that gorgeous shot of that car the car is at stake here because if Sebastian does not de-virginize one Annette Hargrove, he's going to lose his car to Catherine. Oh. But if he succeeds, he gets to, as she so eloquently put it, put it anywhere. Oh, yeah. So that's that's it. That is the entire plot of this movie. But the majority of this movie is just like people talking and not really doing much of anything. Yeah. There's not a lot of like action in the movie. 
but I think it's great. It's all a very it's if you cut out some of the more modern trappings of it, it's very old school, like an all about Eve. It's just about all about repartee and like just two smart characters mentally jousting and verbally jousting with each other. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is it obviously is a teen movie, but I think it is an elevated teen movie. And I could see a world where he sold it as more of an adult film, not an adult film, like a nudie film, but a more adult dramatic piece where you can sort of let a scene breathe yeah, and, totally. and have two characters talk for a very long time. Also, it, it, the scenes are like dripping with sexual chemistry. And so I think he did a really good job getting away with it. Now, do you agree or disagree with this? I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Philippe have way better sexual chemistry than he and Reese do, which should not have been the case since he and Reese were actually getting it on. You know, I don't know. Well, I think it's always more fun in a show, a movie, to watch two characters not get together than it is to watch two characters together, right? I mean, look, yeah. it's The Office. It's Pam yeah. and Jim, right? Once Jim and Pam got together, that show went off the rails. And and what happened when Pam and Jim got together? The show gave them a reason to break apart, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, and they also tried to make the thing with Egg Helms and, and what's-her-name from Kimmy Schmidt try to get together. Like, that. Yeah. that's the new Jim and Pam? Did not work. No. So I think that for an audience, it's just going to be more fun to watch those sort of charged scenes where Sarah Michelle Geller and Ryan Philippe are so close they could kiss but they don't than it is to watch Ryan Philippe make out with Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I suppose Unless so. you're a teenage girl. I mean, uh, that could be part of it, though. I feel like there was chemistry all around, but uh, maybe maybe there was something to the fact that they were together at the time. Maybe it uh, put a little added pressure on the situation. Oh, maybe. Also, I, I was just going to say that Sarah Michelle Geller just went for it. She did go for it. I was going to say that it's really hard, I think, in a movie like this, too, uh, that is so fun and all of the characters get to have such a good time to play the ingenue to play just the object of desire because that character is usually pretty boring yeah. I, I think Reese did a pretty good job of uh, or she did a great job she did a great job of I think so making that a little more interesting but she's never going to be as fun to watch in this movie no. as Sarah Michelle Gellar or Selma Blair no matter what she well, does well yeah Selma Blair is like the the showiest part because she's so goofy and it's a lot of physical comedy that she does so perfectly and Sarah Michelle Gellar is so deliciously evil and psychotic throughout yes. the entire movie there's a certain shot that I'll bring up later that was just perfect so yeah so Reese on the other hand has to play the normal gal however I do feel like she brought some fire and some spark to it she did yeah I think she was great yeah and I mean you just can't deny that the woman has so much charisma and so much just talent that and, and honestly I've never been like a huge Reese Witherspoon fan. I, I recognize that she's very talented, very good. I just haven't seen a ton of stuff. Like I thought in uh, Big Little Lies, she was probably my least favorite. Well, no, oh, Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley was probably my least favorite of those gals because well, all she did was run on the beach. She's busy running on the beach. I don't know. I'm a I'm a very big Reese Witherspoon fan, but I think I've seen more Reese movies than you have. Probably. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Cruel Intentions. Election is a. I know. I've never seen Election. Okay, I'm bummed about that. You are missing out. Tracy Flick is a most delicious character and Reese Witherspoon is amazing. I've never uh, seen Legally Blonde. Le okay, Legally Blonde, star, I mean, she was already a star, but star-making role, she's fantastic and Super star-making role, you could say. Superstar franchise that she created, or didn't create, but you know, she... She made 
that work, though. She made I feel it work. Like- and lest we forget, she was only five or six short years away from getting her Oscar for Walk the Line Obviously. playing June Carter, which I know is a movie near and dear to both of our hearts. Yeah. That uh, was one of our movies that we saw together very early in our relationship, and uh, the pet name that we still call each other, which we won't get into. We will not say, uh, but it is born from Walk the Line. Yeah, oddly things. enough. Uh, so, yeah, Reese is great, and she really just radiates off the screen in the this camera role. loves it. yeah and watching uh even at like how how old was she like 1920 like no was... no no she was in her 20s she, oh, i think okay. she was well, 23 24 they're all anyway she carries herself like a star is what i'm saying she does yeah she's just a, a beautiful the camera loves her it reminded me of um how the camera loves heath ledger in 10 things i hate about you oh yeah <laughs> 10 things i hate about that you. man was a star he was a star movie. 10 things i hate about you is another 90s teen film that you'd never seen that i forced you to watch yeah um, based on an old work based on a shakespearean play the taming of the shrew and it's just great but i remember watching that movie and rewatching it and though like julia styles is our female like ingenue she's the point of view of the movie the camera fucking loves heath ledger he's such a star and i feel that way with reese too it's like the world knows it there's a reason why she's and reese witherspoon she's just a, yeah. she's just a movie star and maybe that's the thing that's the detractor for both sarah michelle geller and ryan Philippe in this movie as i know they were movie stars at the time but honestly i look at those guys and it's like those are tv actors reese is a movie star so that, I get was, that however they were very good in in this and i cannot imagine anybody else playing those parts and ryan Philippe made me laugh a lot in this movie there was one point where uh he it's actually when we get to meet annette reese with the spoon for the first time and she is riding with his aunt helen uh they're riding horseback and they hear a gun go off and Hel- and reese is like what's that helen says oh sebastian must be home so they go to join him he's uh shooting clay pigeons and Helen comes up and says, Sebastian, you're back. And he says, oh, fuck me. And he turns around and says, and Helen, I'm so happy to see you. And he like prances over to her. <laughs> but that like flip was so great. And there's a lot of those asides. I think that's another Roger Cumble ism is people saying like asides to themselves. Yeah. Like really shitty things. Like I, I know that Sarah Michelle Kellergold's uh, Selma Blair a fucking moron and a couple of other instances like that. But anyway, very funny. Ryan Philippe did a great job. I've pronounced his name like six different ways so yeah, far. Yeah, it's Philippe. It's Philippe? Sure, right? It's Phil- Ryan I Philippe. I think so. I feel like I've heard him say it that way, so that's probably the way to go. Let's go with how he says it. <laughs> Speaking of him, I love like his shit-eating grin that's always plastered across his face it's in this amazing movie. makes him look like such a fucking weirdo the other thing he's wearing in this movie are a set of horrible 90s glasses and <laughs> oftentimes uh, suits as a 17 year old boy does well i'll tell you one suit he wore during the movie <laughs> what's and, that and that is his birthday suit <gasps> oh got to see that butt. we did get to see that but it was a pretty good butt it's a very good butt do we think there was a skylight in that uh, that atrium or I guess if it was an atrium obviously there'd be a skylight I guess so I, I think the scene takes place at night I think his butt is naturally lit I oh. think it just glows <laughs> it just glows all on <laughs> well I was gonna call it a butt in the moonlight shot something oh, I talk right. about quite frequently on this show so I wanted to say it but I mean it's quite a, quite a sight it is quite a sight and uh, I'm glad that you uh, are mentioning it because one thing I noticed this go around that I don't think I paid attention to in, in past viewings is in such an overtly sexual film 
uh, with, as we described, you know, two girls kissing. The whole movie's very sexy. The only real nudity you see is Ryan's butt. You don't really see a lot of female nudity. You don't. We don't see any boobs. I'm shocked by that, actually. Like, this movie in 1999, this type of movie, I am shocked we didn't at least see Tara Reid's boobs for no reason. I know. She even says at the beginning, like, oh, he took nudie pictures of me. It cuts to a shot of the internet, uh-huh. and her breasts are obscured. It's tasteful-ish. Um, the uh, lovemaking scene between Ryan and Reese. She's covered. She's covered by Ryan. You, you like almost see something there, but not quite. So it is tasteful. Yeah, I love that. Well, I, as you'll remember, I feel that there is a, a major lack of male nudity <laughs> in film <laughs> and television. Go. Did I? Do I feel like the movie would have done a little something more for me had I seen Ryan's penis? Sure. You know, but I'll settle for his butt if it means that we just get butt and not boobs. Now, think about that scene. Think about how Reese reacted to him turning around fully nude. She's so embarrassed. She's so well. She's so embarrassed, but she's impressed. She's embarrassed, and she has actually seen Ryan Phillippe's dick. So, are we to assume he's packing heat? Yeah. I mean, is she, you know, <laughs> what do you, what do you, I'm, how I'm, many, what do you think a dick is? I'm just, no, I'm just saying, I'm saying that in that moment, Reese had to draw as an actor uh-huh. from her personal experience <laughs> okay. to, to see the shock of the, not just the shock, but just being like, wow, that's quite a member that boys got on him. She was, yeah, she was wowed. She was wowed. <laughs> as I wish I could have been wowed. I wish the camera would have panned down. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> we do. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to mention, I mean, like back then, obviously, Ryan Phillippe was a good looking guy. He's still a good looking dude. Oh, yeah. He's very handsome. Would you, would you say he's daddy? He's zaddy. Oh. No. He's, I thought like Jeff Goldblum was zaddy. Jeff Goldblum was zaddy. You're right. He's daddy. He is a daddy. He is a daddy. He's literally a daddy. And so he is a daddy. Yeah. I Papa. think <laughs> he could get it then. He could get it now. And uh, he could put it anywhere. He can, Well, <laughs> that's the whole point of the movie. Oh, I thought, yeah, I thought that's what you were going to say. Oh, yeah, I was close to it. I'm just I'm still thinking about Ryan Phillippe's penis size. And if they would have shown his dick, would that have increased the box office revenue? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? I probably would have watched it more recently. <laughs> it would be in the rotation, if you will, the uh, annual rotation. There are a few sets of movies that I watch every year. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. <laughs> part 1 only. My favorite of the eight films. Such a weirdo. And if I knew that Ryan Phillippe's a dong was going to be in the moonlight, as you say, lit mm-hmm. by the atrium. The gorgeous the, glow. The gorgeous glow. Oh, we would have been watching this on the yearly. Yeah. Okay. I think I would have been more interested in it, honestly, if I was like, holy shit, they showed Ryan Phillips' dick. <laughs> I gotta, that I got to see. Oh, man. Oh, but, man. you know, he looked good in the movie. We all know this. Be it a suit, be it a, a, a long coat. Let's be honest, he looked good no matter what he was wearing in this movie. Well, that's one thing we haven't talked about is sort of the style, the costume of this movie, oh, because yeah. it's amazing. There's a lot to unpack there. Actually, uh, in my notes here, I looked up who uh, did the different jobs on this movie. Let's talk about the set design. Okay, the set design's awesome. Tessa 
Poznanski. Way to go. Poznanski. Miss Nasky if you're nasty. (laughs) She's a set designer on this. Man, what a great job. Like, she gave every room has such character to it. Well, it is play-like, as you said, and uh, with that, there are very few set pieces in the movie. I feel like the majority of the movie is shot uh, between Sebastian's room and Catherine's room, and yeah, those rooms are so uh, gorgeous. Yeah, especially Catherine's room, which is painted like a royal blue. The entirety of the room is royal blue. She's even got royal blue curtains, this amazing four-poster bed. Uh, Her phone, the the antique phone is amazing. The giant bed with like fleur-de-lis embossed and gold on her sheets. I it's mean, incredible. It, it's incredible. Let us not forget the framed portrait in Catherine's room of Catherine. <laughs> oh yeah, I noticed that too. That was that was great. I mean, what's just a fun character touch of her to have a, a her headshot essentially uh, framed in her room of herself? We don't ever actually. Well, no, we do see Sebastian's room. It's a much smaller, a less elaborate room, but it's more drenched in like warmer colors, reds and golds and things of that nature. He also has a study like. It's funny that they eliminated the parents for this story. And we don't need sent, them. And sent them to Bali because that makes it feel like this gigantic New York apartment that probably costs like $10 million is just belongs to these two kids. Did you not grow up in a $10 million New York apartment? Um, no, I, you know, a $10 million home, but not oh, an apartment oh, in New York. It was a wow. $10 million home in you had a home? Valdosta, Georgia. Yes, so the set design was great. The set design of... Uh, there's a lot of just locations that they use such as the uh, the yard of the aunt's house and mm-hmm. helen's place is really beautiful lots of utilizing new york great shots of uh in central park ah uh, the best there's some shots of ronald the character we'll get to in a moment he's stalking sebastian later and you just see the you know the upper east side or upper west side uh behind him just really great utilization of new york as a character in and of itself yeah let's talk about denise wingate and her costume design Denise, I have questions. (laughs) You know what? Mostly compliments. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is dressed like Catherine Hepburn meets Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Oh, yeah. Definitely in the scene in Central Park where she's with Selma Blair, she is in all black. She's got the giant hat, the giant sun hat, giant glasses. She looks like Jackie O going to a funeral why is she dressed like that? I love it. I don't care. I don't care that she's in high school. I don't care that you've dressed her like a 49-year-old woman. <laughs> I'm obsessed yeah, with it. Yeah, she's great. She always puts Reese in like virginal whites. For sure. She's wearing all white. It's very pure. It's very thematic. Like the, la- the last scene of the movie, John had, John had asked, Why, what's up with this white outfit? And I was like, look, man, he's in all black. She's in all white. It's yeah, thematic. there's themes going on there. There are themes going on there. But I love it. Sebastian's style. I love a little less. Yeah, it's a little bit less showy, but I think because he is the character that goes through the most change in the movie, that you have to sort of tamper down his weirdness like if you dressed him in the same manner that you dressed sarah michelle Gellar in this movie i don't think his change would have quite worked unless of course i mean you do have him in like the slick suit right at the beginning and then by the end he's kind of wearing t-shirts and slacks but he's i mean a nice t-shirt like a v-neck i'm not talking about like you know a disney world t-shirt i'm talking about like i don't think he wears a t-shirt the entire movie no he's wearing he is at the end really my recollection of this is that it goes from suits to suits to silk button-downs with slacks, to black button-downs with gray slacks, to then black button-downs, gray slacks, and a long black 
coat. I think the trench coat is what's throwing you off here. He had a shirt. We saw it in the scene. We're jumping ahead, but there's a scene where he goes into the room. He's trying to bed Reese. And... Is he not in a button-down in that scene? He's not in a button-down. Oh, well. He's just wearing a okay. t-shirt, baby. Oh, man. Well, he's ready. And well, Reese that's what you wear. wearing some silk pajamas. She's not got anything underneath. Well, as long as somebody's wearing a silk button-down, I'm happy. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, he, he does. His style evolves a tiny bit throughout okay. the, the movie. But Sarah Michelle Gellar just is like over the top in every single scene. Half the scenes, I was like, what are you even wearing? Love there's it. There's one in particular at the very end. There's like a... What even is that material? It's like a very billowy material like over her shoulders. Like an organza? Like a peach organza Yeah, going like over gown? her shoulders, but under her breasts. And like silver like corset underneath that. And I couldn't tell if it was a dress. Is it shorts? Who knows? We don't get to see the full body. What does it matter? I just fucking love it. Denise, well done. Great well job. Done. Oh, and we're not even mentioning Cecile. Uh, oh. Selma Blair. Her costumes throughout are so bright. So bold and in your face i mean it's just like that character it's true who is very bold lots of reds there's a point where she goes over to sebastian and he's going to seduce her she's wearing a red hoodie a very vibrant red hoodie and it definitely conjured images of little red riding hood yes. he's the big bad wolf we get it there's also a scene directorially when reese and ryan are in the pool it's the first time we really get them together mm-hmm. to talk about she's saying no 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 i don't i'm not interested in you you're not my type he's like oh come on babe you're my type you're beautiful you're this you're that exact dialogue and it's (laughs) and the the camera stays stationary it's a pretty long take of the two of them in the pool and ryan is slowly circling her and i was like like a shark circling her like a shark so that's right anyway just these little subtle things that roger cumble added to this picture this picture this picture picture. i love going to the picture (laughs) i love going to the picture show sir i feel like it just makes it a cut above the rest it just really feels like there was like i said a distinctive vision oh man there's so much to talk about um uh, we could go through the the beats of the plot but that would just take too long let's just talk more about what we love yeah um i love that there's a bowl of cherries in every room there's fresh cherries cherries. (laughs) Uh, several points in the movie people are just pulling cherries from off screen and eating them what do you think it means (laughs) gee i wonder (laughs) uh there's definitely no symbolism there uh we have we do have ronald who is the music teacher of selma blair he's in love with her she's in love with him but it just becomes a complication just becomes another tool in uh catherine's toolbox to help fuck over cecile because that's her whole plot because cecile stole her boyfriend she's gonna make cecile look like a slut for next year at their academy well uh one thing with ronald as you said amazing adr lines ronald has my favorite line of the film (laughs) which is an adr line which is uh when ronald is caught in Catherine's bedroom and uh, right before excusing himself as he walks away there was the classic adr line there's some fucked up shit going on in this house Yes, I love that as well. I had that in my notes. Biggest it, laugh in the theater. Oh, absolutely. It was amazing. Definitely my biggest laugh probably throughout the whole thing. Man, what else? Uh, well, I feel like another take of this film might be that it is a gentleman's guide on how to relieve a young woman of her virginity. Yeah. Can we talk about the scene leading up to Annette finally having sex with Sebastian? Sure, if you'd like. Uh, Obviously, uh, there's been a lot of change in Sebastian, and he falls in love with her, and she knows it. This leads us up to the beautiful scene uh, underscored by Counting Crows' colorblind. Yes, as you said, he's gone through a lot of change. So, ladies, this is one way you could lose your virginity. You could flip 
the bad boy, Sebastian in this case, in a matter of hours. Yeah, this this movie <laughs> takes place over, we're trying to figure out the a timeline. Day. <laughs> it's a little confusing, but less than a week. Okay, so we flip a bad boy, which is, come on, it's true. It's all of our wildest dreams of that age. You then get into your first big fight in a matter of minutes. You leave town because it's all too much. You are then tracked down by now flipped bad boy who follows you to the train station, waits for you at the top of an escalator set against, as you said, the backdrop of a counting crow song. You tell him you're impressed. He tells you, I'm in love, which we all know is the censure. Yeah. Right? It's like, you say that, it's going oh, yeah. to happen. That is the, the key to unlock any chastity belt. That's right. We smash to, quite literally, if <laughs> I might add, we smash to an afternoon delight scene in which the sun is pouring in through the windows just so that so that every inch of you is flattering. Mm-hmm. Got that golden glow from Golden the- glow. The gentleman, in this case Sebastian, pauses mid-act this teenage boy to check in with her and say are you okay yeah just a little progress report because what he's worried about is your pleasure he then escorts you downstairs and helps you into a stretch limousine Mm -hmm. which drives you home he calls you the next day to tell you he loves you that's one way you could lose your virginity yeah, that's, I, I feel like that's how most girls probably lose their virginity, yeah, right? There are other ways. You could, I don't know, for instance, watch Anchorman with your boyfriend at the time and realize, yeah, why's it got to be special at all? <laughs> no time like the present. Let's say you don't have a condom, so you take one from your roommate's bedroom and use that one. After you squeak your way through the experience, just before he leaves, he could turn back and say something sweet like, hey, you're bleeding. And by squeak, do you mean like barely get by or do you mean like, do you mean literally squeak? I mean all of it. You know, I mean like, like, literally, like, like a, a squeaky well, bed? Well, this is just like a for instance. I don't, this didn't happen. No, this doesn't, this sounds like this, you're just dreaming this scenario up off the top of your head. And yeah, it, it is in no way personal. came to me in a fever dream. It has nothing, it is in no way related to my own personal experience. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, That's man. the movie I do want to see so that I'm not set up for an unrealistic expectation of what this is going to be like. Fuck you cruel intentions candles and romance it's really overrated it's for the birds what you really need is will ferrell and one of his classic characters uh making you laugh making you think and you just go at it yeah it's a a story for another day sound sounds great well i was gonna say please uh off of that particular uncomfortable story Uh i'm going to bring up another uncomfortable story which is in no way related to you yeah, yeah. You could also say that your girlfriend of a couple years finally tells you, hey, it's time. And you rush and go get <laughs> candles Aww. and you light a bunch of candles in your room and you get a pack of condoms and you get some lubricant and you also have to get, get a 12-pack of Mountain Dew. Right, a classic tale. Just yeah. so that the lady at Walmart doesn't look at you weird. 
she knows you're about to have sex, dude. Mm-hmm. Who cares about the soda? Who's this story about? I, this is also a hypothetical. No, it came to you. Okay, the, yeah, got that it. I'm just coming up. Yeah, and yeah. then you uh, you have a moment in the process of your first time where you realize, yep, uh, my girlfriend's gay, and. Uh, unfortunately, that moment didn't come to this hypothetical person that isn't me mm-hmm, at that mm-hmm. moment. It was not a pleasant first time, and <laughs> it would come to our realization that, yes, indeed, uh, she was gay. In fact, this other this girlfriend who this is hypothetical. Also, yeah, this uh, imaginary girlfriend, she was a huge fan of this movie, Cruel Intentions. I wonder what scene she liked the best. She liked, get this, the scene where <laughs> the two women make out in the park. And I, Aww. I mean, not I, not I, certainly no, not, not me. No, not you. Even the, though the, you, however, have talked about your first lesbian girlfriend, yeah, I believe, on this true, show. It's true. But oh, the okay. guy in this story was like, at that moment when she said, oh, I love that scene, he was like, hey. Me too. And didn't put two and two oh. together. Didn't look at the Xena posters on her walls oh. and all of her crushes on her female teachers. I don't know why this hypothetical person didn't say, "Okay, look, I love you as a friend. I'm going to let you be free. He was not emotionally prepared for that in, in that time. I'm very, I mean, he's very happy for her now. You know what? I really feel for this hypothetical person because she Who, the gave, guy the girl? Oh, the, the girl. she, okay. I feel for her. She gave you, <laughs> she gave you, she gave somebody every, out of my imagination. She gave you every clue. She tried so hard to tell and you. And she broke up with me several Aww. times. And uh, the last time she just said i'm gay and i i was like oh yeah it all makes sense it was so dumb and uh we remained Aww. friends for quite some time after That's that and nice. i haven't talked to her in, uh since i moved out here to la but uh you know i wish her well and i think she's doing well is she living loud and proud i th- believe so Good. absolutely married Good. to a woman i think she, they live in colorado montana something like that but i'm i'm happy for her good on her i wish that uh her first experience wasn't with me that it could have been with somebody she felt more natural with but that's not the world we're living in unfortunately no, that's uh, that's cruel intentions. Baby. That's cruel intentions. <laughs> and uh, that's now that we've liaisons dangerous. So <laughs> now that we've aired all that, uh, well, they're hy- uh, hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. What else is there to even talk about with this movie other than everything is so good? Let me just give you a couple of lines here. Oh, please. Uh, first of all, very 1999. The line when Ronald. Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> the great line. He's talking to. Uh, Christine Berinsky, she storms in. She found the letters that uh, prove that Ronald's in love with Cecile. And she's like, how dare you? I took you off the street. And he says, took me off the street? I live on 59th and Park. Which is very funny. I assume that's a very Inside Baseball New York reference. Yeah, I love that because I, I, I think this movie, it, it was the late 90s, but this movie definitely uh, has some uh, homophobic and racist moments. But this is one of those moments where it sort of flipped it and in such a way that it pokes fun at Christine Baranski for being racist and it makes her look yeah. shitty and Ronald gets the win and I really yeah. appreciated that. Yeah, but the, the very late 90s part of it that I was getting to is Ronald is saying, oh, maybe I should, uh, he's talking to Catherine and Sebastian. They're trying to help him. So he thinks, uh, connect with Cecile. He's like, oh, I could send her an email. <laughs> and Sebastian says, Ronald, email is for geeks and pedophiles. It's true. It's like, oh man, how different, how, how things have changed <laughs> since then. It's true. It's a good line. Oh yeah. Oh man, this is another very offensive line uh, that Sarah Michelle Geller says. They're also talking about Ronald trying to get them together with Cecile. She says, 
Unfortunately, our Don Juan is moving at the speed of a Special Olympics hurdler, which is very offensive, but also pretty funny. But also, it is very, it is offensive, and it is a terrible joke. It that being said, we, we was did hilarious. <laughs> and then, obviously, the, the most famous line of, the, oh, of it, you know. I mean... I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. What a line. I mean, what a line. This movie is just ripe with lines like that. They just throw them away like it's nothing. And that goes back to Roger Cumble, man. He did a great job scripting this thing and directing this thing. Speaking of uh, the script, all of the really great lines, one of the pieces of trivia we had read was that Roger Cumble, uh, one of his signature moves as he writes, to music in that he has a scene in mind he actually writes the song into the script so a lot of this uh, I believe he knew exactly what he wanted and uh, I know that's something that I think a lot of writers do Uh, I do it you do it oh absolutely Uh, when I first moved out here and first got an IMDB that was I was given the opportunity to add trivia to my IMDB and that was one of my trivia items that I had to remove later because I was so embarrassed about it (laughs) and also like plays the drums and won the first ever VSU film festival i got rid of all that shit i wish it was on there you were saying well roger cumble had music in mind and one song in particular that is so iconic in the film that we talked about colorblind uh that's not that was not his first choice it was actually a smashing pumpkin song to sheila and when we got home from our married date at the movies we pulled this scene up and played it against the song to sheila by smashing pumpkins it does work it's pretty awesome i maybe i'm too close to colorblind but i think it's a good thing that it didn't work out um i I guess Billy Corgan had watched the movie and did not like it and did not want his song in the film. However, uh, fucking Prince Adam, not to be confused with Prince Rogers Nelson, who we talked about (laughs) already, but a fucking knight uh, in shining armor, Adam Duritz. A knight in shining dreadlocks, Adam Duritz. A knight in shining dreadlocks. Adam Duritz had watched the film and loved it and said that he had this song that he was going to record, uh, which went on to be colorblind. And so I think he must have played like a demo of it to Roger Cumble. He really liked it. Then Roger was invited to go and watch the Counting Crows record this song for that album. So he was present for the making of that song. That's friggin' dope. Because that is a great song. And we've seen it performed live a couple of times. We have actually uh, to connect uh, us to our Buffy podcast that we did together. We saw Counting Crows perform this song in the same concert that we saw Toad the Wet Sprocket perform because Toad had opened for Counting Crows. Toad, bro. Toad, bro. It all, it's all full circle. There's also that excellent Amy Mann song at the very end. Oh, you could make a killing. Her movie songs are just excellent. She, she is a very cinematic songwriter. I wonder sometimes when I hear music like that, I think, uh, well, obviously, maybe, you know, I think she must have been hired to do the music for Magnolia, Save Me. Right. But I wonder if musicians, do they think cinematically the way that I think writers put in music to their scripts? Like, do musicians think like, oh, this would be great in like a love scene? This is a love song for a love scene, or this is a fun song for, a, for an action scene. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. All I know is that Save Me from Magnolia Uh did not win the Academy Award. She was beaten out by whatever the Phil Collins song from Tarzan was. (laughs) And she was fucking robbed. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, is that "You'll Be in My Heart" or is that is, or is that another one? Uh, the the Phil Collins song. Yeah, what's the Tarzan song? It's either "You'll Be in My Heart" or um, Two Worlds, One Family." Some one bullshit. cup. <laughs> yes, Two Worlds, <laughs> One Cup. Uh, one of the two. One of the because he did all the songs off of the Tarzan. Oh right. Uh, for the Tarzan, they tried to pull an Elton John and Tim Rice. Who did all the songs for The Lion King? Uh-huh. And like, let's get in the next great star, Phil Collins, who's <laughs> who was definitely uh, the top of his fame in 1999. True, and true. they got him to do the songs for it. And I believe they did the same thing with Sting. Uh, do you remember that movie, Emperor's New Groove? I do. That movie ended up being very slapsticky and very wacky. Uh-huh. Uh, but originally, it was a much more serious tale when they first started working on it. I don't even know if the guy gets turned into a llama in the early version. But they had Sting come in. They were going for a three for the hat trick, if you will, to have Sting come in and write all the songs for it. Uh, but the movie completely changed, so they cut everything, but still kept one of the Sting songs at the end. And it's so incongruously serious from the rest of the movie it makes no sense why it's even in there but sting is like the master of writing middle of the road movie songs i feel like sting is one of those artists who you sort of forget about him but he's nominated every year at the academy awards for some song that i don't know in a movie i haven't seen yeah exactly like a (laughs) a documentary or like a short film yeah totally yeah all right sting all right phil collins you know what, Amy Man, you were robbed. And you should have been nominated for this song. This song's amazing. But there is a song that's even better, I would say, on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It's the song that we came in with. It's the song we came in with, and it's the song we'll go out with. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. We're talking about Bittersweet Symphony, baby. I mean, amazing. Now, this is uh, a song that uh, Roger, I guess, really, really wanted and fought for, and he was told you can't afford it because uh, the Rolling Stones have a writing credit on the song because the song samples from them, but I guess they were like, whatever, fuck it. It is worth it. Let's pay whatever it takes and let's get this movie to end on the highest of notes yeah whereas Tushila was i feel like surpassed by colorblind in terms of how well it goes with the movie and how associated it is with the movie i literally cannot think of another better song to go in the place of bittersweet symphony at the end of this no. movie Bittersweet Symphony should should round out every film. Absolutely. Every movie. I think so. When that song came out, I think it was like the Christmas of 1997 or 1998. I got that the, the Verve CD for Christmas and was obsessed with that song. And me and my buddies made, God, probably like three or four different movies that featured that song. We oh. basically made movies... All in my living room. Not like big, big, like ventures or anything. Blockbuster films. No. Do you think Roger Cumble, do you think one of your films leaked, like an early (sighs) leak, and Roger got it? And saw how perfectly you executed oh, the marriage of Bittersweet Symphony with your did. film. And you, that's what made this happen. Do you think he saw perhaps the film called Cream, which was oh, a uh, ripoff of the film Scream? <laughs> but it was, it was called so because it was the movie to steal a line from the cable guy starring Jim Carrey and Matthew Broderick. It's the movie so scary. It made Wes Craven cream in his pants. So we called it Cream, and it was me in a pink scream, <laughs> a bright pink scream mask. Uh-huh. And the only, and that was like the song of Bittersweet Symphony was like the song of that movie. We played it in almost <laughs> every scene, and uh, I remember that movie most specifically because that's when I was small enough to fit inside a dryer. And the killer, Aww. one of our gags was the killer pops out of a dryer to attack the the hero. 
and it was pretty funny. Well, let's watch it now. Let's yeah, that's the only reasonable follow up to Cruel Intentions. I, I do want to before we finish up. I mean, we're obviously we've gotten to the end, and I, we got to unwrap the, the that ending. Uh, but I just wanted to mention again how beautifully delicious uh, some of the shots are in this movie. Not only the the great shot of the little string of saliva between the mouths of Selma and Sarah. I'm talking about the scene after. Uh, Sebastian has deflowered Annette, and he's dropping her off. He's putting her in her limousine. And her and, stretch limo, and like, a, is what happens to all good girls who lose her virginity. Exactly. They go home in a limo. Exactly. I don't know, because uh, he's all in love with her. Why didn't she just spend the night? You know, she got shit to do. <laughs> I guess so. She <laughs> it, busy. It's it's too much too soon. If you're if you're not going to spend the night, it was an afternoon delight into the evening. And I think she needed some quiet time to reflect, and he was giving her space. But I guarantee you this happened off happened off screen. He asked her what she wanted, and she said, I'd like to go home in a stretch limo. And he said, done and done. And he said, whatever you want. This is about you. Yeah. This but, night is about you. But there's a wonderful <laughs> shot after she leaves. Sebastian, you know, wrapped up in emotion and love, walks back into the place. The camera tilts upward and finds the most deliciously sinister shot of Sarah Michelle Gellar perfect. <laughs> <laughs> on a balcony just above watching so ah, it's just so perfect it's so arch i love yeah, it it's great i mean there's a similar shot earlier in the movie when uh selma blair shows up the the scene where she's wearing the red hood uh-huh. uh where we go up and we see ryan F- philippe uh philip philippe philippe oh this philippe? is my philippe philippe Philippe. Philippe. you know what i'm realizing Rayon, is a missed, philippe. A missed opportunity is that sebastian our Sebastian oh, yeah. wasn't on this podcast so that we could confuse talking about Sebastian with Sebastian for an hour. What a missed opportunity. Why did you have to bash his knees? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it was tough out there on the ice. <laughs> on and the ice. Showing me up. I don't like it. But uh, the shot that I was mentioning of, of him, he's above her, he's smoking, and he watches her come in, but she does the goofiest wave, like the most childlike wave <laughs> that you busted out laughing at, uh, Selma Blair does. <laughs> and she just smiles and waves this like uncontrollable wave. It's, it's wonderful. Like I said, the movie is shot beautifully. It is set decorated to within an inch of its life. The costumes are great. The script is great. This movie is firing on all cylinders, baby. And uh, we have to give a little more directorial service, something that you had said at the end. I was saying, you know, I love that closing shot. You had mentioned this, John, that the movie opens with Sebastian in that gorgeous car. The midpoint of the movie is Sebastian and Annette together in the car. They're holding hands. And then the final moment of the movie. Yeah, we we end the movie in a beautiful piece of uh, filmic symmetry uh, with uh, Annette in the car driving similar shot uh, where it's pulling away from the car and we get to see a beautiful view of New York City and it's just like ah mwah, so perfect that's what you said would end it yeah you just said that's that's good filmmaking that's good that's, that's just good storytelling but as I ran it in my head the shots just before the big New York City shot uh-huh. there's like sand dunes next to her so that's I don't know weird. where she was it's like she teleported from California to New York in about the span of two seconds. Look, we won't get into this now because we're wrapping up, but there are some problems <laughs> that we did not there address. Are, there there are. are some continuity errors. There are some costumes that appear multiple times in different days. Yeah, that really confuse the timeline of the thing. Like how, I don't know how long this movie... I'd like to think this was a 24-hour film. This all, <laughs> this all happened in a day. Yeah. 
now. Probably like a week. Yeah, probably. I think a week is a good guess. Oh, we didn't even mention. I mean, to bring up some of the detractions of it is also their very cavalier attitude towards homophobia. I think we maybe mentioned that homophobia mm-hmm. race. Uh, we have a character uh, played by Joshua Jackson and Eric Mabius. Eric Mabius is a football player. He's so like crushingly hetero, but we find out, oh, he's gay. Uh, Joshua Jackson plays a uh, bleach blonde kid who's uh, lures him with his uh, his male wiles, lures Eric Mabius into his trap. Uh, Joshua Jackson with that blonde hair really reminded me of how I looked. When I was oh, hit that age. Oh, is that so? Oh, oh, for sure. I definitely I want that had. that photo. Oh, man. I don't think my hair was as good as his, but it definitely had platinum blonde hair at a couple points in my life, and it was gnarly. Terrible decisions were made. That was that was the 90s. Same time, right? 90s. That was the 90s. Late it was, 90s. It was a wonderful, confusing time. Uh, we were still innocent, and uh, we did things that were really dumb with our hair, folks. I get it. I gave myself bangs once, and I have naturally curly hair, so it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up completely, oh, we've got to talk about the very ending of the movie. Yeah. We haven't even talked about it. <sighs> Somehow. It's very tragic. It is a tragic ending. Well, I think we were just so excited to talk about Bittersweet Symphony. That yeah, we, we were. Skipped, we just skipped ahead. We skipped ahead. Uh, you had set up earlier that Ronald sort of stalks Sebastian. They get into a bit of a, a shoving match. A scuffle. A scuffle, if you will. Annette comes out dressed in all white to remind us mm-hmm. that she is the virginal queen. Though she has mm-hmm. lost her virginity here, it's fine. I'll go with it. Uh, Sebastian's in all black. Annette gets tossed out into the streets. And Sebastian <laughs> takes quite a blow. Yeah, he heroically pushes her out of the way. Some dumbass cab driver not paying attention. This is before cell phones. This guy's just... Just looking off into space and it's like, oh shit, there's Reese Witherspoon in the road. He tries to stop. He doesn't. Sebastian has to throw Reese. It looked like he threw her deeper into traffic, but... Yeah, I was confused by that too. Either way, that cabbie's in prison for manslaughter. Yeah, that cabbie is definitely doing 15 to life. For like a rich upper crust kid getting killed uh, by his car. Oh yeah, he's definitely going to prison. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone, baby gone. He's maybe died in prison by now. Uh, and now uh, we have to end the film with Sebastian's funeral. Oh, you know what's really fun about this is it's the first time that Annette and Catherine face off. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. They have not interacted the entire movie until the end. Uh, right before Sebastian's funeral, Annette pops out of the bathroom just after Catherine's giving herself a signature bump from her cross. Oh, yeah. Which I don't even know if we touched on. She has this cross around her neck for most of the movie. But really, it's just a receptacle for cocaine. It's just a receptacle for cocaine, as Sebastian details in his journal, uh, which we haven't really talked about the journal either. <laughs> I know. Entire... We're, we've been pretty bad about jumping around. But... So this entire movie, Sebastian Sebastian has this beloved journal in which he documents everything that happens in his life, which includes, obviously, Catherine and Cecile, the bed, the bed about Annette. But at the end, there's this great moment where Annette pops out and she sort of faces off with Catherine. It's very cheeky. I think Annette has changed. She's not so fucking innocent anymore. And uh, she has this great moment where she calls back something that Sarah Michelle or Sarah Michelle Geller had said earlier, which is, you know, I know it may be trite, but whenever I'm feeling down, I turn to Jesus and he gets me through. And she's basically saying, fuck you. I know what that cross really is. Shit's about to go down. Yeah. And I was kind of confused because the headmaster starts the scene. Like, I didn't know if it was a funeral. Is it the first day of class? I was a little confused about it, what exactly we're looking at here. Because it was, because why is the headmaster that 
uh, Sebastian didn't even know talking at his funeral, but there are definitely a lot of flowers that's in a church. There's a giant portrait of Ryan Philby there. So it was, I was a little confused. Uh, maybe I was confused too, but now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's, maybe it, we're back to school and this is a memorial at the school for one of the students. Yeah, I think it is because I think he said something like, I don't want to start the year on a down note, but here we go. Yeah. And then she gets, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller gets on the podium and starts saying like, as, you know, as student body president, I have to say that, you know, peer pressure can be a lot and it can be a problem. It could lead to stuff like this. And then we see kids running in. And going to different people in the audience, and they're like, hey, shit's going on outside, bruh. You got to come outside, bruh. And they're like, okay, we're going to meet you out there. And they all run out, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is still talking. She's like, have some respect for the dead, but she can't help it. She takes the bait, uh-huh. and she walks out with them. She runs out, and Cecile, she gets sort of her win, where she hands Sarah Michelle Gellar, a.k.a. Catherine, a bound and printed copy of Sebastian's journal that Annette has clearly distributed to everyone. Yeah. So Cecile knows the deal now. The headmaster comes out, takes the cross off of her necklace, dumps out the cocaine. Catherine has been had. And then Annette gets the win of the movie. Yeah, Annette gets the win of the movie. She gets the car that was, I guess, what Catherine wanted. Catherine at least like expressed some interest in the car, but obviously Catherine's real goal was just to fuck with Sebastian. She just wanted to mess with his mind. She says later in the film, you're just a toy that I like to play with. She had no intention of letting him put it anywhere. It was just another way to keep him on the hook. You know, I guess, I guess that's true. I could also see a world where she was so hurt by the fact that Sebastian fell in love with someone else and would deny her and turn her down that she went evil, which is exactly what happened with Court, right? That was sort of the setup of the movie is that she was into this guy this guy betrayed her and even though she loved him she's now out to destroy him and i think the same is is true of sebastian i think it's complicated it's you know it's complicated that's high school baby you know that's exactly how high school was for me that's how high school was for you that was how high school was for our hypothetical first timers yeah with their uh, different varying sexual escapades for the first time whoever those people whoever those people may have been you know that's prep school that's manchester prep that's new york city that's 1999 it's just a fucking bittersweet symphony it is that's life and in our final moments right before we get to that car with annette driving off we have one of my favorite moments of the entire movie where we cut to some of the kids in her class just close-ups of these featured extras <laughs> who probably got paid, I don't know, 50 bucks for the day. And like a hot meal. They got like a SAG voucher. Yep. And they're just looking at Catherine and shaking their head no. And it's like the greatest, worst acting in the world. It's so good. Also, all of those kids are in their 40s. Absolutely. They are way too old to be in high school. <laughs> but that was the movie. So that, what did, That's it. What did you guys think? Would you let this movie put it anywhere? Or would you throw it in front of traffic? Let us know. How could you let us know? Well, first off, check in on our Facebook page. That's where we have a lot of fun action. That's where we're getting suggestions. Uh, it is facebook.com backslash HWIG podcast. Like it. Follow it. It's a lot of fun over there. We also have Instagram and Twitter at HWIG podcast. Look at our pictures. Look at our tweets. Uh, the few tweets that we have, that is. Uh, we'd love to get some more interaction on there. So please 
join us, or you can email us, hwigpodcast at gmail.com. Again, you can let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. Hopefully, Sebastian will be back with us soon. Hopefully, his knees will repair themselves quickly. I wouldn't count on it. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Galuli went pretty hard. Oh, did he? Did he? Uh, He's a hardcore dude. Yeah. A hardcore dummy. Uh, So we'll be back next week with more things that you hate to tell you why they're great. But until then, I'm John Bring. I'm Lindsay Calhoun Bring. And here's why it's great. of you.